1: She's a fashion blogger, model, and entrepreneur. She's amazing. The latest tips on fashion, beauty, wellness, travel, and her lifestyle. And now, here's the founder and creator of Not Basic Blonde, Olasha.
0: Hi, loves. Welcome back to another amazing and informative episode of Not Basic Blonde podcast. And I have a very interesting guest. His name is Steve Sims. And I had pleasure meeting Steve at the event, American Snippets event, where Not Basic Blonde podcast was an official sponsor. And I had pleasure interviewing Steve now on my podcast as well. Steve is the one who works with Elton John, Elon Musk, sent people down to see the wreck of the Titanic on the seabed, or closed museums in Florence, also quoted as the real-life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, Steve Sims is a best-selling author with Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen book, sought-after coach and speaker at a variety of networks, groups, and associations, as well as Harvard, and so much more. So in this episode, Steve will share with us how to score and attract high-paying clients, how can we use video messages to connect with our clients on a personal level, how to get everything done, business cards are boring what is an an alternative to that how can we make our clients want us more how can we bring anticipation back to our clients what is the big line dividing marketing and branding why do clients argue over the price tag and how can we avoid it how critical are failures for growing, and so much more. But before we dive in, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Not Basic Blonde podcast on Apple Podcasts. Hi, Steve. Welcome to Not Basic Blonde podcast. So glad to have you. How are you today?
1: It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited too. Thank you so much. And and we would love to know about your journey, how a bricklaying lad from London ended up doing all the things you've done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. Uh, how do I make this quick? Um, it's not very interesting. I'm the same as every other entrepreneur. Um, I grew up with no money. Um, I worked with a family in a little construction firm in East London, and I just... I couldn't believe this was my only thing. I couldn't believe that there was no options for me. So I went out to try and find better options. And in doing so, I tried loads of jobs that I failed at. I tried loads of careers that I was no good at doing. Uh, Until in the end, I ended up just starting to connect with um, entrepreneurs and wealthy individuals through nightclubs. I was a doorman of a nightclub and I knew where all the best nightclubs were. So I started telling people where things were and I I wanted to get in the conversation. Like we're having a podcast now, we're having a conversation. That's what I wanted to do. So back in the nineties, the only way for me to have a conversation with quite simply a billionaire was to find something that they needed, supply it so that I could enter into the conversation. I didn't expect it to be anything, but it ended up becoming one of the world's largest, um, largest experiential concierge firms. And I wrote a book and now I traveled the planet, coaching, teaching people how to be able to achieve the, uh, the ridiculous and the amazing.
0: Such an interesting story. And we would love to know more about your book. Would you please tell us before we of course get into the most interesting part?
1: <laughs> well, it's, it, <laughs> Again, it's crazy. Um, I was in a I was in a bar in New York, and I'm telling stories. And um, this lady there said to me, oh, you should write a book, you know, talking about all the, you know, crazy things you did with the Vatican and Elon Musk and Sir Elton John and Richard Branson. And I thought, yeah, sure. And I never thought anything about it. And then a week later, I got an offer to do the book. And I did this book, Bluefishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Um, And I didn't expect it to take off. I thought it's just a guy with no qualifications doing these things. I don't believe, I don't think anyone's going to believe it. And it took off. It's been translated into um, Thai, Vietnamese, Mandarin, Chinese, Korean, Polish. um, And it was released in Russia last year. So I'm just amazed at how successful the book's
0: taken off. Wow! It became like world famous bestseller. That's incredible.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is incredible. It's very surprising, and from that, it got me the chance to be able to coach and to do the other different things that I do. So I'm very, I'm very appreciative, but also very surprised.
0: Wow! And what did you do with Elon Musk? <laughs> we would love with Elon to Musk.
1: So <laughs> with with Elon, we had uh, we had a private group uh, visit SpaceX, and we just thought it'd be funny to kick a rocket how many people get the chance to actually walk up to a rocket and just go bang and just hit a rocket so we actually went down to SpaceX to learn not only what it takes to build a rocket but why he did and why he felt that he could do what he wasn't qualified to do he he never grew up as a, a rocket scientist and here he is now the leader in space exploration so it was an interesting event. We had about, I think about 35 people at the event.
0: Very interesting. And what do you do now, especially, um, I know you're a concierge for um, celebrities and other famous people. So what exactly is your um, field like? What do you exactly do now?
1: Well, I've got to admit that's kind of quiet and down now because for 25 years, I spent billionaires money giving them interesting cocktail stories. Um, Now what I do is I realize that a lot of people were overcomplicating things. So I started the Art of Making Things Happen podcast. As I say, we coach. We really want to get people to realize that, hey, you don't have to be Elon Musk to achieve the amazing. You know, you just have to try something. And so I was surprised at how well the book did. But now my main job is to actually coach people. And I run events called Speakeasies where we actually get people to just change the way they're thinking to go after more incredible goals and aspirations. And that's what I predominantly do now most of my life.
0: So how do you actually change the thinking to go after huge goals? I think the
1: first thing you need to do is to be willing to be laughed at. You see, that was something I learned that in dealing with all the incredible people, Richard Branson, Elton John, Elon Musk, Jean-Paul De Juria, and a lot of people that you've never heard of that own, you know, major companies all over the planet. Every single one of them went after a goal that was laughable. They thought to themselves, I'm going for this. And they didn't care what anyone else thought. And that was something that struck me. A lot of people go, oh, I don't know how to do this thing. You know, I'll be laughed at or worse they say, oh, that's impossible. The most successful people in the planet went after the unachievable, ridiculous goals and were willing to either fail or be ridiculed. And there was a famous sentence that Elon Musk said to me that they'll always laugh at you just before they applaud.
0: Wow. I love that. <laughs> they laugh at you just before they applaud. This is incredible how he said it. And of course, it's true, and sometimes even famous actors. I mean, they have to change their appearances to be in different roles, and they have to look like you know sometimes terrible, but they're in this huge role. But they don't care because they do know what they love. But if someone comes in and says, "Oh no, I'm not gonna look like this on camera," of course they're not gonna have this role.
1: <laughs> exactly. You've got to, You've got to adapt and edit and be willing to do what you want to do and not what other people think you should do.
0: So true. Oh, why should we be texting our clients and isn't more powerful tool than email right now? It's a powerful tool. Would I say
1: it's more powerful? It doesn't matter. We should be using all the, we should be using email. We should be using social. We should be texting. We should be phoning. Um, But the good thing about text, it has a number of things that makes it very attractive. One of the good things about it is that it causes an alert to pop up on your phone. So email doesn't, a little number comes up, but it doesn't alert you to a new email. But when someone texts you, a little bit of it pops up on the screen, plus the fact people answer texts far faster and they answer emails. So text campaigns, they get through faster. They get answered quicker. And there's also no junk file. So it's not a case of your text landed in the text junk file. It doesn't exist. So for me, I do a lot of things like videos, messaging, where I will text these out. I will usually email it as well. I go, hey, did you get this? And I will still send it out via text. So I get two ways of getting a hold of you.
0: Such a great way, it's so true because there is no junk folder for a text and we see it nope. right away on our phone and versus emails. Sometimes we even <coughs> kinda have the time of the day when we check emails all at once. So text is definitely seems like a very effective way.
1: At the moment, yes. You know, who knows? There may things change. So there may well become a approved um, text receiving list or something, or there may be a text file that all of the unknown senders get sent into, but it's not there at the moment. So at the moment, I think it's one of the more powerful communication tools for getting your message through to your audience.
0: Yeah, and also now I see so many brands and just so many um, like different companies use Text messages, I get this random text and it says, well, such and such product, such and such, like there is a promotion. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know about this product, but where did I get my number? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's out there, but it's a good look. The bottom line of it is you saw it and you're now talking about it. So it was memorable. So it's an avenue to get a hold of people.
0: How can we use video messages to connect with our clients on a personal level?
1: Well, today, I don't care how good you are at writing, Um, you could be JK Rowling, no matter what you write, if the other person is in a bad mood, they're going to look at what you've written in a negative way. So the downside about writing something is it doesn't matter how you send it, it's how it's received that's important. If you video something you remove the chance of any confusion because they get to see your eyes, they get to see your excitement, they get to see the change of tonality. Just like this podcast, you get to see you get to hear the changing tempo of my voice. You can't read a change of tempo in an email. So I like to pick up my phone, do a little voicemail, uh, do a video, sorry, and actually text that video. That I really like doing. Yeah, it
0: definitely seems very personal because someone is sending you the video message. (laughs) Yep, exactly. It's a good one. So business cards are boring. And is there an alternative to that? Something that makes connecting with fun activity for the clients?
1: Well, it's always funny because whenever I go to an event, I always say to people, look, you know, do you have a business card? And everyone in the audience puts their hand up and I say, hey, who hates getting business cards? And everyone puts their hand up. So we're giving out things that nobody wants. So that for a start is just ridiculous. So one of the things I do is I have a QR code. And you can easily Google QR codes. And there's different companies. I use a company called QR Generator. And what they do is they allow me to put my little face in the middle of the QR code. And so people say, hey, how do I get hold of you? And I literally would just open up my phone to a picture and I'll go take a picture of this. And of course, when they hover over it to take a picture, it flashes up my website. So it's a better way of getting people to connect with you. The easiest way is just to say, hey, I'd love to get a hold of you, but I've run out of business cards. Can I take your cell phone number and I'll text you and then take that cell phone number? And again, if you text them just to make sure you got the right number, now you can make sure you're in a much better way of contacting them. When you give someone your business card, you're also giving away control. You're hoping that they're going to contact you, but there's no guarantee of that. So the best way to do it is to just go, give me your cell phone number, I'll text you and then do it in that way.
0: Hmm, very clever, especially when you say you've given out the business card, you are giving out your control. Of course, now you have to sit and wait if they will text you or they call you or their card, I mean, your card get lost, but if you have a QR code or just like text message, like you said, it's totally effective.
1: Yes. It's much, it's much better way of doing it. It's much more accurate.
0: What is the big line dividing marketing and branding?
1: (laughs) That's a a great question. Um, It's, It's almost comical how people don't know the difference. Um, I run a company called Sims.media, and we get a lot of people come to us and they want to do marketing. Marketing is amplifying your message. If your message is bad, it's amplifying a bad message. Your branding is what you stand for, who you are, and what you do. Now, marketing is what you say about you Branding is what other people say about you. So the first thing you've got to do is understand what do I stand for, what do I do, how do I sound, what what are my values, what are my beliefs, what are my structures, and when you know the answer to that, you can make you have a solid foundation for your brand, and then you can amplify and market that. But in today's world, the first thing you have to do is think about your brand and you think about things like Virgin Airlines and you think about Nike shoes and you think about Apple computers or just Apple brand. You know, all of a sudden, each one at Rolls Royce, everything I've just mentioned, suddenly you have a thought about what relates to that brand. Nike, you think about athletes and, you know, the cool, the cool sneakers and the cool lifestyle and, you know, being able to slam dunk or being able to run or being able to do any kind of sport. You think of Apple and you think Apple's just cooler than PC. You think of Rolls-Royce and you think, oh, that's a status symbol. I've achieved something. All of these are brands and they brand first so that you have that recognition and then they market. Second. So brand first, market second.
0: I'm glad you explained this difference because there are so many people they actually confuse it. And I'm glad you said yes. when you have a bad message or bad branding, marketing amplifies that. So before anything else, so first you should brand it well and then market it. I love correct how you justify that.
1: <laughs> yep, no, it's a it's it's a very easy thing to get confused about. Um, And they really need to pay attention to it.
0: Why do clients argue over the price tag? How can we avoid it?
1: (laughs) If you get an argument over the price tag, it's your fault. When people come to you and they start arguing over the price tag, it's because you failed to demonstrate the value. Your fault. So whenever you're speaking to people, you can say to them, hey, it's going to cost $10,000, but I want to focus on what's going to happen, what's going to save you time, what you're not going to need to worry about and what it's going to do impactfully to your business, your life. And you focus on all of those points so that then they go, well, hang on a minute, I get all of those things for only $10,000. And so you've really got to build in the value of what it is you do. Too many people go, well, I can help you for $10,000. And then people go, well, what do I get? You know, what are you going to do? And that's when people are arguing over price tags. If anyone ever says to you, oh, that price tag's too much, it's because you failed to demonstrate the value and content of what you're doing.
0: Wow, very interesting point you highlighted. So basically you can, there is no overpriced items. They just like are valued or they just did not highlight the value of the item. But you basically can sell any item for anything if you give them, Many reasons. If you give them a good enough reason why they should pay that, and that's it. You know,
1: if you turned around and said, "Hey, I've got something for you." If I said to you, "Hey, um, I've got something for you for thirty thousand dollars," and you're thinking, "Well, thirty thousand dollars—that's too much." You know, I, you know, I've only got fifty thousand dollars in the bank account. I'm not going to spend thirty thousand dollars on you. I don't know what I'm buying. But if someone turned around and said, "Hey, I'm going to sell you a tablet," For $30,000, you'll never put on weight and you'll never age a day in your life. You'll be eternally young, okay? Now, everyone's buying the tablet because I've established a value, okay? So if it's not important to you, it's gonna be too expensive. But if it's important to you, the price tag will never matter.
0: Such a great point, wow. (laughs) How critical are failures for growing?
1: Uh, you can't grow without failures. You know, we actually grow from experience and education and an experience and education comes from things that don't go right. Whenever you try something and it goes wrong, you go, oh, why did that go wrong? Why didn't that work for me? Why have I not got a house on the beach from that now? You know, how did this happen to me? You learn from that education because you did it. It's experience, you tweak it, It goes right, and that's the growth. So you cannot grow without things going wrong.
0: The most mistake people make is when they fail, they think it's over, and they don't even want to try anymore, and they don't understand it as a part of growth. But when you actually explain it, it totally makes sense because how will you learn? And learning is growing, so it's kind of all linked and it's kind of all I mean depends on each other (laughs)
1: absolutely you can't have you can't have success without failure there is no successful person in the planet that has not failed
0: not one I agree how can we distinguish ourselves in front of valuable clients who don't know us yet that's a strange question
1: because you say how do you distinguish yourself you don't Okay, when you want to attract a client, the only way to attract a client is to make all of the focus about them. If they've got a problem, you're the solution. If they're trying to do something, you're the asset. If you can show that you are a value to them, that's what will make you stand out. Too many people think, oh, I've got to look pretty. I've got to sound good. I've got to dress up in a nice suit. I've got to drive a nice car no one cares if you can be a value and an asset to somebody else you can turn up on a skateboard they really don't care so stop focusing on you and focus on the client
0: but also there's a thing like people always say when i mean everyone judges you by the first impression and by the way you look but by what are you wearing so is it true or do you if, know that you, you know the funny thing <laughs> the funny thing is you're
1: correct sadly it's poor people that judge people by the cover you see affluent people they judge it on the advice and on the substance now you may have a brilliant idea but you just may not have been successful at conveying it you just may not have found your niche so successful people the one habit they have is that they listen to everybody and sometimes they get the greatest information and advice from someone that you never would have thought about now people that are just making a living they're the ones that are very quick to judge based on what you look like for me i don't have a car for me i'm always in a black t-shirt and jeans for me i'm always drinking an old-fashioned and riding motorcycles, not at the same time. But that's me. So if you're gonna look at me and go, well, hang on. He hasn't got a Rolls Royce. He hasn't got a Bentley. He's not wearing a $100,000 watch. He can't be successful. Successful clients never think that way. They look at this person, they go, okay, what can they do for me? I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they ride. I don't care what they're wearing. Are they an asset for me? That's what successful people do. The people that judge me, or the people that don't know me that would judge me would never judge me as a credible person.
0: You know, it's mostly in Europe because they judge always by the way you dress. Because there they try to yes. wear like the latest and the greatest brands, and they try to stand out like this huge watch and the latest phone. But yes. in US, it's so laid back, and I learned it when I came to US because here everyone could be dressed so casually, but driving at the same time like nice car and like even when i go from here from us to europe to visit sometimes i'm like so dressed casually they don't even know who i am and they might like judge but i was like um you don't even know know, who you're talking about
1: too yeah those are different those are different cultures you know i was raised up in asia so i'm very much aware of different cultures have different looks now again I may walk around in jeans and a T-shirt, but if I'm in Italy, for argument's sake, I'll wear a jacket because culturally it's respectful. Um, I won't go into a meeting with sandals on, you know, so there's certain cultural um, differences between different countries. If I'm in the middle of London, I'm at a meeting, I'm going to wear different outfits to hear, But I'm not going to try and be a different person, and I'm not going to wear that watch to try and impress you. I'm going to wear it if I like it. So th- while there's a lot of cultural differences, there's a lot of credibility similarities. Standing for who you are and being who you are will resonate between anyone.
0: Also, you have this fun thing going on, Sims Distillery. What is it? <laughs>
1: So I, I I built a community called Sims Distillery for people to join. And I think it's about $97 or something like that. And it's it gets you into um, all of my videos and training, but also gets you me twice a month. And we do different videos. We do different AMAs. AMAs are Ask Me Anything. So they're live. So you can actually be on that call and you can go, hey, how do you do this? And we'll answer it, me and my very successful friends will answer your problems. So Sims Distillery is a community there to help you grow with basically what is the same price as a cup of coffee. So if you imagine you had a cup of coffee every day, joining Sims Distillery is far smarter, far more impactful and cheaper than that.
0: Very interesting. I love that. And based on your experience, I know you work with all very affluent people and, um, amazing people. How do you score um, affluent clients from someone who is starting, or maybe someone who wants to be in the same industry as you? So gaining an affluent client for start, you should never try and get,
1: uh, gain a non-affluent client. Non-affluent clients are more painful than affluent clients. So always go for people with money. Always, always, always. It makes no sense otherwise. When you know what the person wants you turn up as the solution. So do your homework. If there's a client you're trying to get, find out what they're working on, what they like, what they dislike, what their problems are. And you can do all of that just by Googling them. And then when you connect with them, go, hey, thank you very much for this meeting. I noticed you're working on this. And I noticed that you had these two problems. I have a solution. So if you focus on turning up as a solution, that will gain you the interest of an affluent client.
0: Nice. And as far as you being on social media and being active and coaching people, what is your best advice? How do you grow on social media? How do you establish relationships?
1: A relationship is a conversation. If you say something on social and someone makes a comment, respond, reply. Go, hey, thanks for that. Oh, why did you think that? Why did that make you laugh? I'm glad it made you laugh. But start a conversation and then transfer it to the DM so that it's private. And then say, hey, let's jump on the phone and actually have a Zoom call or a phone call. So start conversations. Social platforms are there to start a conversation. They're not the end of it. But also show up as you. You know, if you if you don't wear a suit, don't wear a suit on social. If you don't have a fancy car, don't lean up against a fancy car on social. Make sure that you on social is it, absolute mirror image of who you are in real life become easy to understand easy to relate to and then answer all of your responses within any social you post
0: I love it and what's the best advice you can give to our listeners today um stop
1: being scared stop being scared be curious and try something new trying something new you may well fail but then you become educated
0: incredible Thank you so much. And where can our listeners find you? Your social handles, all your information?
1: I'm very easy. I'm Steve D. Sims everywhere. Steve D. D for dashing, one M in Sims, stevedsims.com. Or I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, everywhere under Steve D. Sims. I'm very easy to find.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Steve. It was my pleasure. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Bye. Me too. That was all for today, guys. I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Not Basic Blonde podcast is available on all the major platforms with new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. To support the show, tag NBB podcast on your Instagram stories and check out more behind the scenes on Instagram as well at notbasicblonde underscore or NBB podcast. And if you haven't, subscribe, rate and review Not Basic Blonde podcast on Apple Podcasts so much guys have a great day
1: say goodbye